just stay standing right where you are. I'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 14 and do the reading um, for the day. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22 reads as follows. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side. He himself dismissed the crowd and after he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside to pray by himself. Later that night, he was alone and the boat was already considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was so against it. But shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. The disciples saw him walking on the lake. They were terrified. It's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. When we saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt, he said. Then they climbed into the boat, and the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Jesus, uh, as a community, we come before you today, and we just are hoping for you to encourage our hearts, strengthen our faith, help us to go where you want us to go, and help us to know who you are today. And let that be the encouragement to us to continue on the path that you've sent us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Morning, 11 o'clock. My wife is due to have a baby pretty soon, and any day now, and people started to get me nervous, and, you know, what if, it, what if it comes on Sunday morning, and what kind of backup plans do you have, and so I wasn't even sure I was going to make it today. So lower your expectations for uh, the message today because, I mean, if you thought you might not be here, how much would you have prepared? That's all I want to know. Like, um, I take it as a confirmation that, that this is supposed to happen, right? Because that, that, we're, that I'm supposed to be here today. And uh, I'm just kidding. I have prepared thoughts and challenges for you this morning to consider from Matthew 14. Um, and I'm very excited to do that. But I'm also excited that today marks the end of the seven-week tour that we've been taking on the seven deadly sins. So this is week seven out of seven. And I was just reflecting on this whole time. And, and I don't know if you've been here for each of the weeks or a majority of the weeks, but I remember back to that first Sunday where, where we just started off just challenging one another to, to take the mirror out and look at our hearts and see if any bad fruit has just been um, existing in our lifestyles or, or in our soul that just needs to get pruned and uprooted. And 
we've drawn near to God in these weeks. And I've talked to several people in the last seven weeks who just feel like they are turning a corner and that they are having breakthroughs and God is showing up in their lives. And I was just wondering, is anybody else in here feeling the same way? Anybody at all here feeling like when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That is very encouraging to hear because that is exactly what our expectation was. When we come before him in humility, he will reach out and he will uh, help us to come along. And part of the reason why I, I had on my heart to read from Matthew 14 today was because of that line, he called them to get to the other side. And I feel like things have just come up, you know, week in and week out for the last seven weeks of things that God has challenges, challenged us to, to, uh, to get past. And I want you to know that he believes in you and believes that you can get to the other side with his empowering presence in your life. Not that there won't be wind, not that there won't be opposition, but you can get to the other side. And I want to encourage you to evaluate right now, this morning, like, is there something that's just been on my heart that I need to move past? And I want to encourage your faith and just sort of walk you through some of the stuff that I see happening there. And I'll get more to that in a minute. But I'd like to just sort of remind you of some of the things that we've been bringing up in the last month and a half or so um, about the seven deadly sins and the virtues and the vices and how that kind of works. Um, because, yeah, we've, we've talked about a topic each week with a counterbalancing topic. Um, and, and some of us can kind of get lost in that, or especially for me, it's kind of hard to sometimes keep everything straight and figure out how to do that. But what we're doing is we're looking at a vice that has been historically just deemed dangerous and deadly and easy to fall into. It's a trap. But not, we're not just looking at the contrast of like, well, here's just sort of the, the opposite side of the spectrum. What we're doing is we're looking at the other side through the lens of Jesus as he is the paragon of all of these virtuous things. We see him and we want to become like him. And when we see him as this, uh, this person, it challenges us and it excites us to become like, not in an arbitrary way, so that we can represent him, him as he actually is in this world, that people can know that when they see us, that they, that brings some sort of hope for movement and change in their life. Let me remind you of some of those weeks and how that works. The first week we looked at envy, like an envy that, as the proverb says, rots your bones. Uh, I looked at a verse in James, right, where it was like, this might be attached to every evil practice and ungodliness. Envy that erodes your identity because it starts to tell you that you're not as valuable, at least is not as valuable as the person that you're envying. But then we... We thought through contentment and how contentment works with, which is how I like to say in Christianity, it's a captivating contentment. It's the product of being captivated by who Jesus is and what he is doing. And when we see him, remember that song? When you, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, the things of the earth grow strangely dim. And you're like, I'm not actually thinking about all the stuff I don't have anymore, but I'm, but I'm pressing on forward because Jesus has given me inspiration and a vision and a mission. That's how contentment starts to work itself out in our life. We had a week on greed and generosity. We're looking at the greed that just is tempting. 
to store up for ourselves all of our resources and all kinds of, because you know what it tells us is you could control the future. You could control the outcome of your life as you start to uh, have more opportunity and resources that you've amassed for yourself. But that's just not true. It feels true. But really, who knows their own future? But when we look to Christ, the most generous and giving person of all time, just forgetting about himself, we then start to see a pattern of actually how though we are poor, we can become rich. We start to see how to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven by being uh, as giving as Christ is giving and showing the world how um, regardless of if I can or cannot control the future, what's worth really giving away. We had a week on the virtue and the vice of anger. <laughs> where we, we, we started to evaluate, is the anger that's in, in me just, am I just going to let it loose and just, it is what it is. And as we start to let go of our bitterness against flesh and blood and other people and start to see that that anger can be good. If, if we can turn it towards uh, like a righteous indignation kind of thing, where we look at the injustice in the world and start to join Jesus in frustration and passion to end that. And, and, and we saw the story of the man with the hand that needed to be healed and, and Jesus going above and beyond to meet him, uh, to heal him. We saw a week on what lust takes and what Christ gives and the humanity and the dignity that, that is taken from Bathsheba and Uriah as in that story of David and Bathsheba. And then the, the, the humanity that's restored when, when Jesus puts his purity upon us and, and how he, he puts it in a, on us in a way that is connected to him and can't be taken away from us. We had a week on gluttony and temperance and the temptation to just fill our stomachs and fill our appetites and be all about uh, self-gratification and, and be all about ourselves, but then to look at the contrast of a Savior who, what does Philippians 2 say? He emptied himself for our sake. And we read the verse that week, you too, take up your cross and follow me. Do the same thing of, of be about emptying yourself for others. We had a week last week, pride and humility, where we saw just in First Peter and really all throughout the Bible how pride can just work its way into our lives and into every area of our lives and stories and tell us it's all about you. Build up your name. Build up your brand. Be uh, be about your own success in your own name. And we saw again in contrast, Jesus, the most important person in the universe, humble himself and forget about all of that stuff for our sake. And then we, in light of that, seek to become like him. And this is the last week on the stop here, uh, the last stop on this train of seven deadly sins. And somebody came up to me at a wedding yesterday. Noah, where are you? He goes, sloth tomorrow? <laughs> I'm like, how do you know that? Okay, slothfulness today. I know, kind of sounds like a word we never use. But it actually, this temptation can seep into all of every area of our life. What is slothfulness? 
you know, I, I probably wouldn't be the only one to just assume that slothfulness has to do with being lazy, like a synonym for being lazy. But is that really, like, I mean, I know that it's part of it. Like, it is a part of that. But really, is it just being lazy? Because is laziness one of the seven deadly sins, like capital S, sin? I mean, if you're asking me, <laughs> I think that a lot of stories of the Bible would go a lot better if there was some laziness involved. Like, Adam and Eve, for example, when that snake came up to them and said, take some of that fruit, if Eve would have laid back and just been like, I'm good. I'm not good at picking, you go ahead and do that. We're just enjoying the garden. You know, I mean, the world would have been totally different. You remember David and Bathsheba? They, he had to get out of bed to go see her bathing. What if he was just a little more lazy and like, I'm not getting up? That whole thing would have been avoided. Of course, in America, we really want laziness to be on the seven deadly sins list because we are desperate to get our virtue onto the list of virtues, which is productivity. We really want to be told <laughs> that it's okay to just burn yourself out and to work and work and like have several different jobs and side hustles and all this. It's almost just unanimously, you know, if you see a young guy that's just working and hustling and you're like, wow, that guy, he's a good guy. I mean, it's, it's just something that we believe in. We want to be told Keep working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever hear somebody say, oh, well, the Sabbath is the only thing in the New Testament that's not, you know, one of the Ten Commandments. So you can break the Sabbath if you want to. Uh, and it just, it just seems like we're trying to justify this idol of productivity. It would be easy to preach that, especially in our context. But it's not just about laziness or productivity today. Slothfulness is actually better than that because if you look at the way the people who set this up, the desert fathers of old, as they talked about slothfulness, they actually categorized it in being unproductive as well as being overly productive. You can be slothful and be lazy, but also overly busy. So if you're taking notes, here's kind of my take on it. Slothfulness is avoiding doing that which love requires of you. And so just an easy way to look at it would be a husband and a wife. They get into a fight and they know it's petty. They know they got to reconcile and be humble and, and ask each other for forgiveness. But here's what we could do. Go to separate sides of the house and one person get on a screen and just watch it or, or scroll and just put hours just avoiding doing the right thing. And the other person could go to this side and just worry about doing projects and doing stuff and not thinking about doing what love would require of you. And that, both of them can fit into this category of saying, I'm not going to do it. Slothfulness is tricky. It'll start telling you, you know, I like to call it a, a now, a, 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 a yeah, but maybe later paradigm. Yeah, you know, it'll tell you, yeah, you do have a problem. It's okay. You could think that you have a problem, but you can't do anything about it. So yeah, one of the, look at the past six weeks. Uh, take your pick. You might have been convicted on the day about greed. And, and it's just like, yes, I have a problem. But maybe I'll deal with it later because I got a baby coming. I'm not going to, you know, work on my finances right now. I, you never know what's going to happen. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, oh wow, I do have an anger problem. Well, that is out of control. Who is that person? 
but have you seen the world and did you see what they did to me and did you hear what they said and maybe after things cool off then maybe I'll get this under control and work on that. Uh, maybe later. How many times have we said to God, maybe later? Because I don't want my life to be boiled down at the end of this whole road to hear, to, to hear God say, you said maybe later your entire life, but what I heard was no. When we know what love requires of us, and that's been put on your heart, and you're convicted about it, slothfulness could tell you, maybe later, put it aside, avoid it. So I want to work this into the story as much as I can today. The story is not about slothfulness, but it can be um, a shade that we can apply here. But the reason why I picked this story is because I want to see us move and get to the other side of whatever it might be that God's got on your heart. I want to encourage your faith today to be as somebody who's willing to say, in light of all the voices around me saying, just wait, just put it on the back burner. Today I'm going to take a step in faith. So if you want to do this with me, let's think through Matthew 14 um, a, a little bit in this topic. What's the context of Matthew 14? Well, it's, it's at the end of a chapter that's got some real highs and some real lows. And so in a lot of ways, I like to see this as um, Jesus, he's continuing to disciple his, his disciples, he's mentoring his disciples and he's showing them, what do you do on a, in a season of life where you have some really extreme highs and lows? What do you do, how do you process through life where you're not really sure what you're going to get? At the beginning of the chapter, John the Baptist is wrongfully executed. Now, I grew up thinking John the Baptist is kind of like a extra credit character anyways, okay? It's not a part of the band. He's just sort of like the guy at the very beginning, and so who cares? But if you think about it, John the Baptist was actually the rabbi of some of the disciples of Jesus. And if you know anything about the, ment uh, the, the rabbi-disciple relationship of their day, this would have been a seriously devastating blow. I mean, you could read in the Talmud some regulations or, or, or rules about how to treat your rabbi, and if your dad goes to jail as well as your rabbi, you're supposed to bail your rabbi out first. I mean, that's cold, man. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about right now. John is wrongfully executed. And in our day, I, I, we've kind of passed this around a little bit, but it would, he, he, who he is, I mean, he's a nationally known religious activist. I mean, he's kind of like Billy Graham to us. You know how Billy Graham, he didn't really have like a church necessarily that he was pastoring, but he was nationally known as somebody who was speaking to uh, bring repentance and, and create a revival in this country in a similar way. This is who John the Baptist represented. So no surprise that when he is executed, look at what happens next. There are thousands of people trying to figure out what to do. 5,000 men surround Jesus in this sort of vacuum of, of leadership. And not, oh, not only that, but Matthew, I think he says there in verse 21, I'm not even counting women and children who are there. I did a research paper, quote unquote, in high school on why Green Day became so famous and blamed it on the end of Nirvana. You know, there was a vacuum in the music world uh, that people needed to fill and it just so, so happened. I did not pass, it was an F. It was like my, 
Yeah, exactly. And so here we are with thousands of people. And this is one of my favorite stories where Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish and he feeds all these thousands of people. And, and, and what does that tell you about who he is and what he provides? And in the context of what they're wanting right now and, and maybe even thinking about um, how much they've lost and how what they need to fight about it. And he's like, look how much I can. I mean, it's one of my favorite stories. Um, but right at the end of that here, we now have this moment of processing and this moment of really uh, obedience. Matthew, Mark, and John all put this next story into their take on Jesus. And so I just trust that as it is a story that literally happened, and I don't want to skip that, this happened. They also think that it's worth being in their take on Jesus so that we can wrestle with it and wrestle with what it means and and how to live in light of this. So Jesus says to them, I'm going to dismiss the crowd and I'm going to send you guys to get to the other side. And if you have something you're processing right now that you feel like Jesus has told you to get to the other side of, I don't want to miss the very first step in this whole process. The disciples actually got in the boat and started rowing. There's a lot of temptation in our life for the slothfulness to just sort of right now take root. When you feel that command of get to the other side, get in the boat and row, but slothfulness would rather have a Bible study with you about what that would look like on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. It would rather have you uh, take time and just sort of look into more about how the sea represents, you know, uh, the, the deep and, and represents the afterlife and it's, it's chaos and formless and void and all that. But I'm not going to actually do it. That's going to take some measurable, like objectifiable, like change in my life. How many of us are just going to stay comfortable on the beach, on the shores of Galilee, when we have been called to get in the boat and head in that direction? Are you rowing? Because let me tell you, you're not going to be able to row and Instagram about it. You're not going to be able to row and always feel like this is good. It's, it's, it's an actual grind. It's, it's, it's going to take obedience. It's going to take a long faithfulness, a long obedience in the same direction. It's going to take just, I'm just doing this right now. I'm not always going to feel it. I'm just rowing. What rowing looks like is it looks like doing stuff that isn't cool. It looks like just believing that this means that I'm going to actually, I know that I'm going to get there someday, but I'm going to take a little step here and just move in that direction. Rowing looks like kissing before you go to bed at night, even though you might not feel it, but you know the husband or the wife that God wants you to be, and you know that this is the right thing to do. Rowing looks like calling a counselor and saying, I'm just making a first step. I'm just going to try and get there. I know I've got something I need to talk to. Rowing looks like texting that person that you've been estranged from, and you know you got to apologize and reach out and just start the conversation. It's just, it's not going to feel good. And I'm all about authenticity. I'm all about feeling like this, you know, I'm, 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 I want to obey. I want to get in that boat. But the reality is it's just not always going to be there. It's, it's sometimes it's just going to take obedience and trust in Jesus that he will meet you with faithfulness and take a step in faith and start to row. Amen. 
So let's row. Let's start to write down maybe one thing that he wants you to get to the other side on. And what step this week or this month can you take to just start saying, I'm going to be going farther away from shore. Because let me tell you, (laughs) if the church is being faithful, it's always going to be farther and farther away from shore. And I know there's a lot of regrets that we have in our life, but if you listen to people who actually articulate what their regret is, it's often, I didn't do an easy thing that I could have done a long time ago. One thing that I could have taken a step towards, and I didn't do it. At the end of my life, when I stand before the Lord in the age to come, you want to hear, well done. Not you were right. Well done, you were, you were liked by everybody. Well done, you, you learned all the words, you know, in Greek or whatever. Well done. No, you were faithful. And it was just a little thing that I asked you to do and you were faithful. So we row. And as they're rowing, something happens. They start to get opposition. Wind is blowing. The rain is coming. And what do you do with that? I think it's good to expect, number one, when we're being obedient and faithful, it's good to expect that it's going to be mundane at times. And I also think it's good to expect that we will get opposition. I don't think the way the world is set up right now is meant to just help you be obedient to God. If you feel challenged by something that God wants you to do, expect actually that there, before you know it, there's going to be wind pushing you in the opposite direction. There's going to be rain making it hard for you to see. There's going to be something that causes you to sort of feel like, and if we were like in the mindset of the world, you know what we would say at this point? I must be doing something wrong. I must have misheard Jesus. He wanted me to get there. I'm not there yet, and this is just not working out. Jesus doesn't want you to think that for very long. So he walks right out to the boat. What I'm trying to do with in this picture, I don't know if I have it fully formed yet, so I'm sorry if you feel like this doesn't make sense. But I want to explore what's happening in this picture. They're sitting there and they're just rowing and they can't get anywhere. Which we all kind of know what that's like in life. I actually literally know what that's like. Max and I once, we took a sailboat out into the ocean after I had sweet-talked the cabana guy into thinking that I could actually sail, and we could not get back. <laughs> Hours, Max, he's right here. We're there out, we were trying to get back, and the wind just kept blowing, and it is a little deflating. It is a little discouraging, and you, but you still gotta act like you know what you're doing, right? And so these guys are rowing. But even if, even if you just think about it in your own life, have you ever been just head down, I'm just doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing? And is it possible, though, that as you're just in the grind and just working hard and just trying to do what you're supposed to be doing, you can get to a point where you actually, it's been a while since you've seen Jesus. It's been a while since he's been a part of uh, this process that you're in. And I'm just saying that because they look out and they see Jesus coming. But they don't recognize him anymore. Yeah, yeah, it might be because of the weather and, you know, just scary to see somebody walking on the water. Okay, I get it. I'll give them that. But is it possible that we could get so just in a rut where we, I don't know, where we see 
Like, have you ever gone to church and you've just felt like, you know what, I'm just barely hanging on right now, but then you just sort of feel like Jesus is coming and you're like, I cannot do this right now. Like, as if Jesus is coming towards them and they're just like, whatever it is, (laughs) I can't do this. And what voice is that that's going on in their mind that's saying, like, that person right there is a threat it's a ghost. It's, 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 not even, it's, not Jesus, it's not Jesus anymore. It's just maybe your relationship to Jesus has, looks like sort of a phantom or like a ghost of what it used to be. But it's not really the fully like substantial relationship that you want. And if you're in that place right now, I got good news for you. Jesus, look what it says. He immediately speaks into that. He does not want to waste any more time for any of his followers to feel like that he is a threat to them, that he is not somebody that, w- that should be welcomed into this moment right now. He is a person who sees them in their struggle, and he wants to be there so bad that he is willing to stand upon the water and walk his way over to that boat to say to them, take courage. You guys are almost there. It's me. I'm right here with you. There's nothing that's going to separate me from being here with you right now. You can do it. You can get to the other side of this. It's me standing upon the sea. The victor standing upon the very thing that they were so afraid of. Uh, What is it that you're afraid of right now? And is it possible that Jesus could stand upon that and even come close to you in that and say even this is beneath my feet and I want you to know I am with you and when his empowering presence is with you that will be what you need to get to the other side would you receive his word I'm with you or will you settle for doing it on your own and just settling for a ghost when you could have Jesus encouraging you. Matthew is the only one who records the, uh, the following, which is one of Jesus' disciples, in this very moment, he speaks out and says to Jesus, if it's you, call me out. Let me come out and be like you. And he doesn't waste any time affirming that inclination. I think it's a good thing for Peter to be headed in this direction. Is there something that you see Jesus doing that just excites you and maybe not 11 of your friends? (laughs) Something that's on your heart that you see in the kingdom of heaven and you're just like, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of want to be like that. I want to get close to that. I think that that's, that's something that, that's just me. He speaks out to Jesus. Can I do this too? And Jesus says, absolutely. I'll never forget when Rod once pointed out to me the doubt that Jesus kind of calls out Peter for having might not actually be doubting Jesus. I kind of grew up just assuming that, that he doubts Jesus, and that's why he, he, he was struggling. But if Jesus is just, this is Rod's argument, if Jesus is just standing there, what do you really have to doubt? I mean, he, he, he's, he's doing it. Maybe Peter is doubting himself. 
And that's an important thing to wrestle with because when we let slothfulness in, it's gonna use self-doubt and fear to work against you. Watch how that happens with Peter. He stands out. He's actually doing it, okay? Don't get past that. He's actually doing this. And then he starts looking around and seeing some big intimidating things. And he doubts his ability to stay where he has been told he can be. What kind of voice was going on in his head? Notice the sequence. I think this would be verse 30 or 31. He, he, he sees the waves and becomes afraid and then he starts to sink. It would be a different story if he saw the waves and started to sink and then became afraid. But I wonder if there's some intentionality in how that sequence works because I do know that fear and self-doubt can be some very heavy, heavy things for us to carry as we're stepping out in faith. The voice maybe that, they, that he's hearing in the back of his mind that slothfulness will use is this. <laughs> you can't, that is way, that's too big for you. There's nothing you can do, so you might as well just let go right now. What do you think you're gonna do? That's too big for you to, to handle. It's gonna, it's gonna be embarrassing. That is going to smash over. You're gonna be wet in front of everyone. Nobody's gonna, they're gonna laugh at you. Just let, let this go as soon as possible. And so he starts to sink. And I know there's a lot of big waves out there right now. Whatever it is that you're trying to walk upon that the empowering presence of Christ has given you permission to move on top of. And you're trying to get to the other side, but you know what? There's some waves out there that are really intimidating. Could be uh, parenthood. You didn't have a good example, and, and you hear this voice in the back of your head that says, you know what? You're gonna be just like them, and you can't do this. It could be being just a good spouse, and you're just like, I don't know. I'm not sure if I have what it takes. And maybe, I, I, maybe I'm going to mess this up. And it's going to be the like, most devastating thing in my life. There's a big wave out there right now called racism. And it's just, I feel like there's so many of us just looking at it. And you know what we're hearing? There's nothing you can do. It's just going to crash on you. It's just going to ruin you. It's, it's just, it's too big for you. There's waves out there that, that, that are... Uh, abuse people who are abusing other people and, and there's trafficking in this world and this huge wave of how am I supposed to stand against this? Maybe you've been called to step into that or step into poverty in this world. There's so many people who just are struggling. They don't have a place to stay. They don't have food on the table. And, and it's just this wave that we get despair and we start to feel depressed and start to feel powerless. But who's telling you that you can't step into that? Who's telling you that you can't stand? Because as he starts to accept that fear and starts to accept that word over him, he starts to sink. The story's not over yet. If you feel like you're sinking, and maybe the only thing that you can do is just say one word and one line, save me, right? Save me. I let it get to me. I let it start pushing me down and I'm sinking and he just says, save me. Look at what it says. Immediately, 
As soon as he hears the sound of your voice, the hand goes out to pull Peter up back on the water. Immediately he responds to Peter's cry for help. And I just want to tell you, yeah, he says, Peter, you have little faith. But the thing that I see in this story is a reminder of what Jesus can do with a little bit of faith. And that little bit of faith might be just that one prayer that he was able to get out in that moment. A little bit of faith might be just that you just have a one cup of flour and a little bit of oil. But what God can do with a little bit of faith is beyond our wildest imaginations. With a little bit of faith, you can walk on that water. He still is the God who can take a little bit of faith and part the seas. He still is the God who can take a little bit of lunch and feed a thousand people. He still is the God who will take a little mustard seed. Just look at size up the mountain. Tell me how high it is. And then tell it to cast itself into the sea. And with a little faith, you can get to the other side of where you're going. Has it been a while since you took a step out in faith and gave Jesus the chance to prove himself to you as the faithful one? Because that's how faith works. We give God the opportunity to meet our trust with a yes and amen. Some of us, we're content living our lives, not giving God an opportunity to work in our lives. And maybe today's a day where you say, I'm way behind, but I'm going to get in the water. I'm going to get in the boat and move forwards. Maybe you're somebody who just feels like you've been just alone in this and you've been just grinding out of obedience for so long right now and you need to hear Jesus say, I saw you. I saw your struggle and I couldn't help it. I'm going to do anything I can to come encourage you where you are right now. Maybe you've been felt like you've been just called out upon the waters and there's just this big intimidating topic that you're trying to work through. You have a bigger God and his arm is not too short to move in whatever that is. So give him a little faith today and see what he can do to get you to the other side. So to end this whole seven weeks of Seven Deadly Sins, I just want to ask you guys to stand with me and just speak some words out to one another. I think that it would be really helpful for us as we are now challenged to just walk out in faith to tell each other who Jesus is for you. Could you think of a word or a phrase or something that, that articulates the faithfulness of Jesus in your story? Who has he been faithful to be to you? And just speak that out amongst your family and your community here because I believe that who he has been for you is who he wants to be for me. And we need to hear that from one another. How has he shown up in your life? Is there something that you just wanna speak out? And in a way, we find ourselves in that boat with the disciples who couldn't help but worship Jesus after they saw him do this. And as an act of worship for us, you could just speak out the truth of who he is in your life.